0: This week on A Lively Experiment. An historic week in Rhode Island and Washington. We'll have the details and analysis from our panel of reporters. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... For more than 30 years, A Lively
1: Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr. and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS.
0: Joining us with their insights, WPRI Target 12 investigator Steph Machado, Boston Globe reporter Dan McGowan, and political contributor Scott McKay. Hello everyone. It is great to be back with you for this first program of 2021. And what a week to begin the new year. We will get to the events that unfolded at the nation's capital a little later in the show. But first, a new General Assembly means new faces and new places for the House and Senate to meet, plus a new speaker. Joe Sicarchi, who was the majority leader and replaced Nick Mattiello, set the tone for his speakership and a little bit of this session in his opening remarks on Tuesday. Here's a little bit of what he had to say.
1: This coming session, I'm looking to all of you to continue our lively experiment. I'm looking for your new ideas, your new energy, your new perspectives. As you know, my goal for this office is to facilitate collaboration and consensus in the pursuit of the common good. My approach will be different. But it should never be confused with the unwillingness to make difficult Final decisions at the appropriate time and make them stick. We will roll up our sleeves, clear away the rubble of the pandemic, and build a new and better Rhode Island.
0: Dan, let me begin with you. I think a lot of the question a lot of people have is the first day is like the opening day of spring training. We want to do this, we want to do that. I wonder how much is going to get done given. The challenges of COVID and that the overlying, look, the budget's a big deal every year. How many of the issues that people are going to talk about do you think really are going to get done? I, you know, it's a wait and see, but I, that's on my mind going into the session.
1: Yeah, well, keep in mind, I mean, I think the the House has already said the governor's not going to deliver her budget uh, until later this year. I think they're thinking March at this point. And so we're already kind of delayed from the traditional process of late January. So that's already going to be an issue. And I think you're right. Look, we're, we're all waiting and certainly lawmakers are going to be waiting on what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. And you know, will there be another stimulus package or something like that you know, from the Democrats? So I, I, think, I think things are going to be really held up for, for a little bit. Um, and I would be surprised if there, if you see a lot of major issues tackled. I think they're going to obviously have to tackle the budget. And so, you know, you're going to have discussions about legalizing marijuana, things like that. But I don't think this is going to be a year where we're going to look back and say, uh, boy, they got so much accomplished because everything depends on what happens with the pandemic.
0: Steph, you were up at Rhode Island College where the Senate is meeting. Give me the feel for what it's like up there. I mean, it sounds like it's so Rhode Island. Rhode Island College is so far away, but it is a little bit off. It is a little bit off campus, and there are some logistical issues to deal with.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, three-mile drive up Smith Street from, you know, the Statehouse <laughs> where they usually meet, so so quite a far distance. Um, it was It was strange. It was strange pulling into the parking lot. There was a sign that said Senate Chambers. Your temperature taken on the way in. The members of the public aren't allowed to be there, which is obviously a major facet of normal activity at the state house. Press was, you know, up in a balcony, couldn't really sort of move around as much as we usually do. And everyone was socially distanced and wearing masks, you know, including when they were speaking and everything, you had to keep your mask on. so it was—it was surreal. It was a different feel. New members getting sworn in without their, you know, usually their families are there applauding. They have guests, so it was definitely a different feel um, for what is normally a very ceremonial uh, type of day. But the Senate's planning to stay there for the rest of the session, um, barring any, you know, miraculous end to the pandemic. So they're going to be there, uh, working from that auditorium in this in this really strange manner for the rest of the session. And you know, the Senate President said you know, look, my priorities are the same as last year because last year they didn't get very much done. They adjourned, you know, because of the pandemic. So education, health care, housing, and of course legalizing marijuana, which is something that's really picking up steam in the Senate particularly.
3: Scotty? Well, hopefully there'll be a collegial view by the people up there. One thing that hard times historically has done, I go back to the banking crisis and, you know, I covered the Civil War, so I understand (laughs) a lot of this stuff. And and really, when you focus on the budget, uh, hopefully they will focus on that and find a collegial way to get through this without having to impose either draconian cuts or raise taxes further than they should, given the fragility of the economy. So I'm really watching that. I also think that Secarchi's trying to set a new tone extending the olive branch out there. I was impressed by the first thing uh, that he did was put Ray Hull, who as we know, was in the combustible Nick Mattiello, uh, <laughs> Siberia, part of the house. And he put Ray Hull from uh, Providence. He's a Providence police officer. Very well liked in his district and put him on his head of the vaccine committee, put a couple of Republicans on there. And I think that at least was a a gesture out there to show that uh, there is a new leader in town.
0: Dan, what about the dynamic? It's changed. We have more women. The Senate is now 50% women, plus a lot of the progressives coming in. Plus, I also think the dynamic in Washington, we've all been waiting for the stimulus. Now, the fact that the Senate's gone Democrat, I think that raises the chances of that happening. But what about the dynamic? Every General Assembly is different, but this has a different feel going into it.
1: Oh, it absolutely does. And first of all, Scott's exactly right. I mean, look, I think Joe Shikarchi's whole career in Rhode Island politics, which now dates back more than three decades in many ways, um, is about finding consensus. He likes to be liked, and that's okay, right? Right. So I think on the, on the House side, I think Joe Shikarchi is going to want to, um, you know, build the consensus. I and mean, you've, you've seen him, you haven't seen him really take major positions on some of the key issues yet. You to hear him talking about, I want to talk to my members, things like that. And then on the Senate side, I, I think that's where you actually could see more fireworks this time around. You saw seven abstentions for Senate president in the Senate president vote. So they didn't, they weren't able to put up anybody necessarily, but they made a statement there. And you, we've already seen over the last couple of years that that chamber has really, you know, gone from being this kind of sleepy chamber where everybody votes the same way to now you have real dissidents. You have Sam Bells and the Tiara Max of the world that now coming in who, uh, who really have fundamental different view, fundamentally different views than the Senate leadership and the governor and generally the Democratic establishment here, so I think that's something to watch.
0: Steph,
2: yeah, Dan's exactly right. I mean, that to see you know nearly a third of the Democratic caucus not vote for the endorsed you know Senate president candidate, and to see all the Republicans, by the way, vote for Rogério, which did not happen on the House side, um, said something. And I think you know I spoke to T R Mac, Senator T R Mac, afterwards, and she said you know. It's not that she, you know she just felt she. It's not that she has a problem with Senator President Ruggiero. She spoke to him. She's glad that he's proposed some more progressive policies this year than in the past. But she wants to go further than that. She said, "Well, fifteen minimum, fifteen dollar minimum wage is okay, but it should be twenty-four dollars." So I think that some, this sort of some of these incoming progressive senators are really going to try and push things to the left, and that may make them land somewhere in the middle, but maybe more to the left than they did in the past. We'll see.
0: Scott, you talked about Sikarchi. Look, we all know him wanting to be the nice guy and well-liked. At some point, the Speaker needs to bring down the hammer and and say no. And so I wonder when the, the, the rubber hits the road at the end of the session, how you see that playing out. Because ultimately, unless the white smoke comes out
3: of the third floor, legislation doesn't get through. Of course. And you're going to have a situation where somebody has to bring down the hammer, as you put it. Now, we've seen uh, previously, we've seen good cop, bad cop combinations in the statehouse. Uh, Harwood and Carullo were famous for this. Matty Smith and Jody Angeles. You've seen situations where you had a Bill Murphy and a a Nick Mattiello, Gordon Fox, uh, Nick Mattiello. Uh, Excuse me. And so what happens here is somebody in that leadership is going to have to tell that person no. When they come into the Speaker's office and they want a pet program, and by the way, can you move my cousin up two uh, to classifications over DOT because he's getting his pinch next year? I mean, there's a lot of things these people want. And the problem is, in Rhode Island, is because the Democrats have such lopsided, overwhelming majorities, that means there's a lot of mouths to feed. I remember once in the old days, uh, former Speaker Smith telling me that this didn't really work well in the 100-member House unless there were at least 30 or so Republicans because there was no opposition and all the Democrats thought that they should eat real big, as Lloyd Griffin once said notoriously about Buddy Cianci. And I think that's going to be an issue uh, as we come down the road here. The one thing I will say that in a time of crisis, unless there's an overnight vaccine solution, which is not in the offing right now, that one of the things that happens again—I hate to underscore this—but one of the things that does happen, Jim, you've all been around, Dan, you—we've seen this—is that once you have a real austerity and a real lack of money to do anything, um. People get in line and do the best they can, and they tend not to fight for their pet projects. And I think that's going to be uh, something that you're hopefully going to see, and there'll be some collegiality. We've seen what happens in Washington when people don't respect each other and people start enabling crazy stuff. Yeah, Ed Dupree told me once, Scotty, it's a lot easier
0: to have a deficit than a $100 million surplus as he did in the late 80s because everybody gets in line and wants a piece of it. Dan, before we move on, um, one, two other things, and I know you've written about this, major changes in the support staff. Leo Scanion's out, um, Ray Simone from Jack Reed's office makes a return, and to me, the interesting part is JCLS. Does it still look like Henry Kinch is going to replace Frank Montanaro? does appear to be that way, and, and Henry Kinch is not a household name to, I think,
1: probably a lot of viewers, but he's been around a really long time, ran for mayor of Pawtucket, dad was mayor of Pawtucket, you know, he's been at the courts for a while, uh, very political guy, so he's going to go up there and, and he'll know what he's doing. Um, I, I, you know, It's very interesting to have Ray Simone coming in. You do wonder, you know, after you see what happens in Georgia, you wonder now as Jack Reed starts to make his move, uh, you know, you wonder if Ray Simone's going to be kicking himself just a little bit because you know, there's going to be much more fun to be had in the, in the, in the U.S. Senate. But, um, you know, it's a real, I think it's a heady move by, by Joe Shakarchi. Again, what we're seeing from Joe Shakarchi is uh, you, trying to, look, the House is always, the speakership is always going to be a very political office. But um, I think going with, with Ray Simone and, and having kind of a steady hand to run the building in many ways uh, was a smart move. It's a sign that you know, there's a, you're getting away from that Leo Scania and Frank
0: Anzavino kind of move of, of being yep. very heavy and bringing that hammer down. So it'll be interesting to say. Okay. Uh, the main issue that I think is going to be discussed and something a little bit, both Dan and Steph have written extensively about this. Steph, let's begin with you about marijuana legalizing marijuana. Now the Senate uh, has changed a little bit. Well, you set the table on where we are and there's a lot going on behind the scenes with the new licenses. So give, you know, we haven't been paying attention to marijuana much. It's gonna be front and center pretty soon.
2: Yeah, that's right, and both, we're talking both recreational and medical marijuana um, have news going on right now. On the recreational side, this was something that the governor's proposed the past few years. Um, legislators were just, it didn't seem like it had any traction. You know, last year, Speaker Mattiello, Senate President Ruggiero said, no, we're not going to do it. Um, obviously, Mattiello 's out of the picture now. Ruggiero has dropped his opposition. He was one of the staunchest opponents of legalized marijuana. He still says he has concerns, but he's, he's letting it go forward. Uh, the Senate's trying to come up with a framework. They don't like the governor's proposal to have state-run marijuana stores, which was what she put in her budget. But... Um, It's safe to say the Senate is looking very, very seriously at passing something this year that would set up a legalized recreational market here in Rhode Island, um, which is significant. It's the closest, certainly, the state has gotten to doing that. Separately, you mentioned the licenses. That's on the medical side of things. Um, This already passed a couple of years ago, but the state's going to expand the number of medical marijuana dispensaries from three to nine and the application period recently passed, and um, a great deal of companies are trying to get a piece of this, um, include, you know, and and a lot of details about who has applied um, has not yet been released until we see the applications, but so far we can see at least the names of the directors of these companies, and they have to be local, and so there's a lot of politicians, lobbyists, um, and folks involved, and they're going to get basically pulled out of a hat to see who gets these very coveted Medical marijuana dispensary licenses. And who knows, these could be, these dispensaries could end up being recreational shops in the future. So a lot of money potentially could come out of winning one of these licenses. So a ton of news on this front is in the offing.
0: Dan, do you think that Ruggiero's change is philosophical or is it the do, do re mi or is it a little bit of both? Oh, no, this is completely, his
1: chamber has changed and is more liberal and he wants to throw a bone to the liberals. I don't think that Dominic Grigirio has suddenly become, you know, a big fan of, of marijuana. He's certainly not a pothead himself, I suppose. Um, so, you know, I, I think this is all about trying to throw a bone to your, your members. Remember, this is, certainly the governor did not anticipate this being a massive budget driver. It will bring in money and it would be, you know, helpful in any time and certainly in a time where you're cash strapped. But mostly this is going to be about trying to get this done to show that you're, you know, the, the, the liberal uh, or can be a little more liberal than you have in the past. The question is what happens on the House side? George Hikart just said, look, you know, everything's on the table, but uh, he has real concerns. He told me I wouldn't bet on it passing this year. Um, and and that, that could be a real concern. You know, you're going to start to see other states, certainly Connecticut starting to take a look at it. You already have Massachusetts. And, uh, and so the state's going to have to weigh kind of where they are revenue-wise and, and the House is going to have to really decide and probably try to move the Speaker
3: uh, one way or the other because he seems to be pretty much on the fence. Look, you know, Josh Miller has been pushing this for years and I think that this does appeal to both the revenue side. I mean, it's not, Dan's right, it's not a huge revenue haul, let's face it. Uh, on the other hand, What's happening now is Massachusetts is getting all the revenue, and Rhode Island, where two-thirds of the population is within a 20-minute drive of Massachusetts, is getting whatever social issue uh, feedback there is, people driving uh, impaired, that kind of thing. So it was inevitable, I think, that we would join Massachusetts, and probably Connecticut will do the same thing. It's kind of like the lotteries. If you look at the history of lotteries in New England, once one state starts one, Everybody wants in on it. And the same thing happened with casino gambling, of which the Senate president, and particularly sports gambling, is a much bigger fan than he is of marijuana. But I do think this template has been set for years. The Scott Slater's in the House, people like him, people like Senator Josh Miller from Cranston. I mean, certainly there have been arguments over the years for doing this. And I think it only accelerated when Massachusetts seems to have established it. Now, it's not without a problem. We see the political corruption around Jaisal Correa that happened in Fall River. So perhaps Mm -hmm. this is a huge gold rush, as Steph has pointed out right now. The lobbyists, the people who want a piece of this, and perhaps the governor's idea of a New Hampshire-style state liquor authority that they have using this as a paradigm for marijuana sales would be a good idea and might take some of the corruption out of it. What do you think about that, Steph? Because you had reported the Senate President is not wild about
0: that model. So I know yeah. that's kind of the details, but that's a big detail, isn't it? As part of the program,
2: uh, yeah, that's a huge detail. He told me the other night that he's not supportive of that uh, proposal. Um, I, you know, we don't actually know if Governor Armando is going to continue to still be the governor, depending on if she goes to Washington um, when this debate actually shakes out. Um, he was thinking more of a private model where private businesses are able to open their own, you know, stores and do their own business, which by the way, is what we have now for medical marijuana, These, The dispensaries are private businesses and they make tons and tons of money and that's why there's so much concern that it could be an industry that leads to corruption. We obviously saw, as Scott mentioned, what happened with Jaisal Correa in Fall River who has um, declined, denied the allegations, but is currently awaiting trial on corruption charges related to bribery in this industry and so I think the governor is trying to do everything she can to avoid that happening in Rhode Island that's why she proposed a lottery so that when a lobbyist gets his pick it's well we pulled it out of the hat we didn't give him special treatment we didn't do anything we pulled the name out of a hat um and that's that's the goal there so um We'll have to see, you know, what framework, Josh Miller's involved in coming up with the framework. Um, so we'll have to see what shakes out there. All
0: right. I want to get to the futures of uh, Governor Raimondo and Jack Reed, but first let's uh, do outrages and or kudos. Dan, let's begin with you. Do you have an outrage or a kudo this week?
1: I have an outrage and, and you know, you can't believe we're, we're talking in a week of, of, you know, the craziness in Washington, the Finally, the 2020 election cycle kind of ends with what happened in uh, in Georgia, but we're already talking about what's going on in 2022. And I know Steph looked at this this week as well. Uh, Providence just put out its, its annual audit, usually pretty sleepy, boring document. But what we found was the pension system there is now 22% funded. Uh, we were talking about a crisis six seven years ago when I was covering City Hall very, very closely when we were when the city was 28, 29, 30% funded. And here's the thing what we have to do as, as all these candidates are already emerging to run in 2022, uh, we need to really drill them down on what they want to do with Providence's pension system because for too long dating back to when Scott was was covering City Hall, uh, you know, you've had a scenario where everybody just says, hey, we need to get together and really talk about this. Well, we've been getting together and really talking about this for like 30 years now. And I think the candidates uh, would do themselves a favor and would do the voters a favor by actually putting out a plan to
0: address that woefully funded system. Yeah, and it's maddening because the, then the mayor says, oh, we we ran a surplus last year of, you know, 5 or $10 million. You know, Rome is burning, right? And that's good. And the rainy day fund increases, but it's the pension obligation. Steph, what do you have?
2: Well, I know everyone in America was outraged watching the siege on the Capitol yesterday, but something in particular that really hit me was um, there was a video of a line of, this is obviously an outrage, a line of um, broadcast journalists who were reporting on the mob at the Capitol, um, and they just started getting physically attacked by the protesters who were slamming stuff at their equipment, and the, the journalists, the photographers, and reporters had to just abandon their cameras, equipment, lights, tripod, and, and run away, and there was just this scene of just destroyed equipment, and you're like, well, it's just, a, it's just equipment, it's just property, like whatever, but it really was like a gut punch because it, it felt metaphorical for the attempts to destroy the free press in our country, and to see these people who were trying to document what was happening so that America could see this protest at the Capitol, these rioters who, who stormed the Capitol building to just have them, sort of the arbiters of truth, that, that just to have them basically be ran off the scene and their, their cameras destroyed, really kind of hit me and, and that was awful to see.
0: Yeah,
3: I agree with you. Scott, what do you have? You know, I really, really am totally outraged at this cancerous racism of Confederate nostalgia. I mean, seeing the Confederate flag being brandished inside the U.S. Capitol where it never was, even in the 19th century, is very, very disturbing and should be for any American. I mean, this was just Crazy. And the way that the Republican Party has coddled Donald Trump for the last four years and enabled this kind of behavior from the Tea Party, I mean, it goes back in America to the John Birch Society and McCarthyism, Willie Horton, but this stuff has been happening too, too long. It's become part of the Republican playbook, and it's really, really disgraceful. Just think these photos were flashed all around the planet. We should. Be embarrassed every American the other thing I want to do is give some kudos I want to give it to Dan's organization hopefully I won't be seen as blowing smoke but I did think it was really uh, great that the Boston Globe announced last week that they plan to invest more in their newsroom and specifically saying they're going to expand their presence in Rhode Island and it's a great thing uh, for news outlets nowadays to be investing rather than announcing the inevitable next round of cuts so that's really something in a really hard hard week that I think we all should be thankful for
0: okay we have about three or f- thanks Scott three or four minutes your check is in the mail yeah. um, mm-hmm. three. Three or four minutes left. Dan, let me go back to you. You've written extensive. It's funny. A month ago, we were all talking about, well, is Gina Raimondo going to get HHS secretary? And by the time you watch this, it may have happened. That never happened. So we're talking about Commerce Secretary. We're taping on a Thursday morning, you know, anybody's guess as to whether that's going to happen. But let's talk about Gina Raimondo and Jack Reed, particularly now since the Senate has flipped. And now their fortunes go, you know, 180 degrees. First, let's start with the governor. The, the latest buzz is commerce. What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think
1: I've written a lot about this. Anyone who tells you that they are the Gina Raimondo whisperer in Rhode Island, um, generally doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of gossip and a lot of rumors. But truthfully, the governor doesn't need political advice on whether or not she wants to be Joe Biden's commerce secretary. So she's not calling around to the lobbyists uh, in Rhode Island, asking for, for their opinion. She's asking for her husband's opinion, basically, and her, what, what her children think. Um, it certainly seems like she is a leading contender for the shot. Does that mean that she's definitely gonna get it? No. Does having Joe Biden, or having a majority in the Senate now uh, help, and does it help with confirmation? I think it does. Um, and so it certainly looks like this could be, I mean, we're taping on a Thursday, we could know by the time this show actually runs, but it certainly is a real conversation that's happening uh, between the Biden administration and Gina Raimondo.
0: Scott, I thought that Jack Reed, he has turned down so many times, Defense Department, whether he was actually offered or not, this would be the time he's He's late in his uh, career, whether he would make the jump because he would have four years under Biden. But he keeps saying, no, I like being a senator. Now, clearly, his fortunes are rising as a senator. Where do you think Jack Reed fits into this administration well, or
3: not? First of all, he gets to be chairman of the Armed Services Committee, which is a major committee, particularly for a state with a lot of defense contractors and a state that, frankly, were the best blue collar jobs, I would argue, nowadays in the state are building submarines and that's under his purview and places like the naval war college this is very very good for that whole aquidneck island uh defense technology industry down there i think that reed wants to do this i think he's a senior person in the senate and he's a workhorse not a show horse as we all know and i think that he really wants to carve this reputation for himself uh, as he gets older. Again, he's not old for a senator. I know some people uh, don't like the fact that they hang around forever, but you know, he's like 70 or so, and uh, he could be in the Senate for 10 more years. All right, Steph, you got the last 30 seconds. Sorry to cut you short.
2: Oh no, well the one one thing that I'm just, we're all really watching is what it's gonna look like of a potential um, Dan McKee, gubernatorial administration. If the governor um, does go to Washington, he's very different from Governor Raimondo, though they are both Democrats. They don't see eye to eye. It'll be an interesting transition if he takes over. He's big on small businesses. He's big on charter schools, which is something lawmakers might not um, agree with him on. So that's going to be, and plus the coronavirus, he's going to be overseeing this, this massive um, effort to, to rid the state of this pandemic and oversee the vaccine. So that is going to be really fascinating to watch if, if Governor Raimondo does go to Washington.
0: Okay, folks, it is a quick 30 minutes, and you know, sometimes 30 minutes, it is not just enough, is not enough. If you want to see more with our panel, go online right now, ripbs.org slash lively, our special bonus edition coming up. You can check that out online. Scott and Dan and Steph, thank you. A great way to start 2021. Thank you for joining us, folks. We'll be back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. The experiment is generously underwritten by
1: for more than 30 years a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face rhode islanders i'm
2: john hazen white jr and i'm proud to support this great program and rhode island pbs